Today we are joined by Greg. Greg has had a very impressive career starting as employee number two at GFK Boutique Research, working his way up all the way to CEO of a 200 person employee organization. Greg is now a co-founder at Dare who provide leadership and career development solutions. The insight Greg shares today around how to maximize the potential and performance of your employees is something everybody can learn from. I really hope you enjoy today's conversation, but most importantly, you take action. Okay, Greg, so uh, what do you see as the role of a manager? Mm. So what's the role of the manager? Well, first, I think you've got to make a distinction between a manager and a leader. Uh-huh. Uh, and to me, it's quite important that as a manager, you have to be a leader as well mm-hmm. of people, leading people. But it's important to recognize that everybody in the team you know, can be and should be a leader as well. But I think it's important to, to say this because we use the words sometimes interchangeable. They mean different things. But to me, being a manager also means being a leader, but also giving permission, empowering uh, your people to be their own leaders as well. You've got two different types of managers, business uh, focused managers, and you've got the people focused managers. And I think making that distinction is very helpful mm-hmm. because as a manager, you are responsible for some sort of objectives with people involved. And that creates complexity as a manager because suddenly you're supposed to reach a certain set of objectives you can't do it alone mm-hmm. and that's that's the challenge actually of being a manager now on the business side of course you need to reach your your objectives and i think to do this <clears throat> what you want is bring clarity about what you're trying to achieve what makes that important to people to the team but also what makes that important to in relationships to the larger business that you your team belongs to and i guess also it's helpful for people to know what, how they will work together, what are the processes, what are the rules and responsibilities, so a bit of clarity, and also bring that clarity. So for, for me, the business side, really, it's not just pushing people to reach the objective, it's more getting clarity on what is the objective mm-hmm. and how do we work together with what processes, with what responsibilities to get there. So that's, for me, that's the business side. That's great. It's fundamental. If you don't get what you'll struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you've got the people side, which I'm much more passionate uh, about as now a, a leadership coach. I, I, I coach leaders and teams. I'm passionate about uh, it, but also I've experienced how important uh, it is, how mm-hmm. fundamental uh, it is to the performance of teams. And on the, and on the people side, there are you know, lots of different ideas that come to mind. But for me, Maybe the first, the few things that are really important are that people, you get clarity on the goal, it's great, but that people really want to achieve that goal. Mm. When people get excited about the common goal, things, incredible things can happen. And then people will start um, going the extra mile, putting this discretionary energy and attention mm-hmm. to their work to the collaboration, they'll start maybe even potentially arguing, mm-hmm. uh, debating mm-hmm. with one another. And those are good things mm-hmm. because it means essentially they care. And if you as a manager 
manage to make your team care mm-hmm. for the team's goals, that's fantastic. It's you've you've probably won a big chunk of the battle, honestly. Yeah. So that's one thing that to me is really important. I was talking about debate uh, and you know, arguments, and sometimes we shy away as managers, as not just managers, as human beings, we shy away from those arguments and those debates. And you may have heard of a, of a, of a book called The Five Dysfunctions of, of a Team. Yeah. Um, and well, there, there is a pyramid and there are five dysfunctions and, and there are the two, the, the bottom layer, the one bottom layer at the bottom of the pyramid is called trust. And that's not the dysfunction, that's the, that's for a functioning team. And trust will then allow debate. Mm-hmm. That's the second layer of the pyramid. And that is seen as really fundamental, actually, to the success of the team. And so I just want to spend a little time on this idea of trust because it allows the debate. Also, just to feed into that idea, Google uh, ran a big project in 2015, I think, maybe 2014, with 180 of their teams. And they were looking for what makes a team effective. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there are different measurements, so it's quite complex topics, quite it's quite hard to measure. It's not just goals, right? Because it's sometimes difficult to, to measure this. And so they were just looking for, okay, what are the drivers for a team to be effective? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they looked at hundreds of variables from obviously the quality, however you measure it, of the people, the quality of the manager. And they found that the driver number one by far of team effectiveness was having an environment where people felt psychologically safe. Mm-hmm. Sounds a bit odd. It sounds like, why is that a driver? But actually, if you as a manager can create an environment where people feel psychologically safe, that means they'll show up vulnerably. Mm-hmm. They'll show up with their mistakes. Mm-hmm. They'll show up with their weaknesses. And if on top of this, they care about your goal, people will start actually creating an environment where they will talk about problems, about the issues, about what they can do to improve. They will have those debates because they feel safe enough to disagree with one another and Mm -hmm. still feel like, actually, I'm accepted for my opinion. And that helps uh, really drive um, great performance as a manager. And and therefore, I see the role as, as the people side of things of a manager is to get people to really care mm-hmm. for the goal and create that environment where they can have this, what I call a high learning environment, high debate environment, highly engaged environment, really, but where ultimately they'll, the team will get better and better at going after the goal. So those are the two things on the people side. The other thing I would say is as a role of manager, I've been surprised when I was a leader that I had to repeat. I had to continuously mm-hmm. rehash, okay, what are our goals? Why does it matter? Uh, why does it matter to you guys? Or tell me what matters. And just constantly looking for this engagement from the team. And, and because things change so quickly in our world, we say we live in a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous, that you just always have to fine tune things. It's mm-hmm. just people leave, people come and just continuously have to look at how can we function more optimally as a team. 
And so it's a tough job being <laughs> manager, actually. Very difficult. And obviously, it also you know, highly depends on, on the environment you're in. What's the company's culture? So don't underestimate this. You can create your own little vibe you know, in a team. Don't underestimate where you are and how you can operate within the environment you're in. No, brilliant. And, and you've given us a lot of things there we, that we can uh, unpack a bit more as well, Greg. I think you've you hit some really important points and important topics that come up uh, amongst our community as well. Uh, I just want to spend a couple more minutes going into this creating an environment where you've got trust, vulnerability, people can mm. be open and debate, but then also having that underlying principle where they care about what, what they're doing and where you're all going. I was actually interviewing Adam Callow uh, a couple of weeks ago, who's the CEO of Expert Trades. And he seems to have done this through a few different things. So it'd be good to get your opinion on this and what he's done well and things that, that we could do different. What he's done is he's put two pillars of culture in place and two values in place. The first of all is that discuss everything candidly and they lean into friction. Uh, and the reason putting that in place is to enable that healthy debate and make it normal as part of the conversation to challenge things they don't think are going right. But the second one they put in place as well is they blame process and not people. So it gives the people a safety blanket and a comfortable environment whereby they know they can go and raise challenges without the feeling that they're going to be blamed and it's going to be their fault. And that kind of those two values that he lives by and he's created expert trades around. I think create that sort of environment that you're talking about as well. What are your thoughts are? Yeah, thanks for sharing. I love the leaning into friction. It's a great, uh, it's a great sentence. What do we think about this? I really like those two values that you outlined. What came to me when you say this is ultimately you want to create culture that works for you as a leader, and we're all very different. So it's going to work for you. I don't think there is a turnkey solution that works for everyone. And maybe that touches on the first point I made about personal leadership. So knowing what are your strengths, what are your values, what's really important to you, what impact do you want to have on other people? So digging into this, those are not easy answers. I coach people and I can tell you they're a little brain dead after uh, you know first sessions being clear about those things those foundations and then crafting something that works for you as a leader as as a manager the other thing is once you have done this job is you it's very difficult to create a trusting environment uh -huh. where people feel safe if you don't feel safe yourself uh -huh. and so that touches also on the, point I was making on the environment if you're evolving if you don't feel safe in your job just acknowledge it'll be very difficult for you to create safety for others. I've been in that situation. So I talk of, of experience. Now, the other thing is you also have to feel safe about yourself. Even in a safe environment, some people, and very naturally, we will tend to show that we're right, mm -hmm. uh, to have the answers to every question. And Maybe that's a turnkey for an anti-turnkey solution, if you will, uh -huh. uh, for creating that safe environment uh, where you as a leader, role modeling vulnerability, talking about your weaknesses, uh -huh. your failures will lead the way, will show the way for others to actually make that type of conversation acceptable because that's what you want to promote. You want to promote this. And, and what comes to mind is, a hospital, you know, there's been a huge study looking at success rates. Yeah. 
of hospitals for very complicated surgeries, and they found that it's the hospitals and the teams with a surgeon promoted talking about issues openly about him or herself in the first place that led to by far the highest success rate mm. in, in surgeries. And that applies in business as well. So it's about letting go a little bit of that ego of needing to be right, needing to have the answers to everything and leaning into that friction, that self-friction of I'm imperfect as well. We're all imperfect beings. We make mistakes and we want to learn from them. So learning from the processes, you know, learning from the mistakes in the process, that, that helps. Also, maybe having the conversations where when there is debate, it's not about person, but it's about a situation. Mm. You know, that's helpful to distinguish because you're not attacking someone. Yeah. You're attacking, well, something that you want to fix, but you're not trying to fix the, the, the person. You're trying to fix the situation. Really interesting. And maybe you've said it a few times now around personal leadership and how individual situations and cultures really affect how you're going to lead you yourself as a leader coming up through gfk have had the career that many people aspire to you join as the second employee you work all the way up to company growth you become the ceo so i'm sure you've seen a lot of things during that growth as well that have really helped you develop as that leader tell us a little bit about that story about how you worked your way up some of the key things that you learned as a leader and manager going up through there yeah so I was very lucky, you know, I, I consider myself very lucky that I joined a startup with an, a great guy, incredible guy who had started it, who aspired to have fun, be independent and build something with people. And I'm lucky because we worked very well together. He liked me, I liked him. And I'm not saying this likely that matters, <laughs> working with people you like. And who like you well, that's pretty cool and and i was also lucky because i really enjoyed what i was doing mm-hmm. and we don't need to talk about the content itself but i really enjoyed the analytical side of, of the job as a junior it was just right out of business school and uh, and my boss really helped me grow into creating relationships that worked and it wasn't easy mm-hmm. it wasn't natural for me and really paying attention to how do we work on a one-on-one basis and as a team? And um, so he helped me grow into this. So I built up the skills, the experience. He helped me build the sort of relational element of, of the job. And yeah, and then he trusted me and he trusted me and he gave me, he gave me the reins really of the business after a while. Getting people feel like they contribute towards something that's greater than themselves, to feel like they belong to the mm-hmm. team to feel like they will grow towards something that they desire, to feel like they care to the point where they will give a lot to the business and to the customers. Honestly, that's the only reasons I think the business did really well. It did well with my boss. It did well with me as well. Uh, the people and grew from about from about 20 people to 100 people when I was the, the leader of the business. It is, yeah, I think it is that that if there is one ingredient that really helped was this. We had challenging times. We had definitely challenging times. And the fact that the team felt dedicated to the objectives really helped because 
because we had a, a few a few moments when we were wondering, you know, actually, shit, is this business going to survive? Let's dig into that more as well, Greg, because I know there'll be lots of managers, lots of leaders sitting here wishing their employees cared more about work and wishing they cared more about what they were doing. So how do you actually achieve that as a manager and a leader? First of all, you need to find as a leader, as a manager, you need to find what makes you care about it. And if you don't, well, you'll struggle to have others care for it. So find what makes you tick, you know, what makes you want to give that discretionary energy. And that's going to be your thing. It's, going to, it's not going to be others. So then it's about, well, there are different steps you can take. There is one is being clear about, okay, what is the role of the team? What role do we play in the business, for customers? So being clear about what is our mission. And then it's really powerful to get people to visualize, okay, what does success look like? If we do our job, if we accomplish a mission, what's the bright future that we're creating? Creating for our customers, sure. But then also linking this to what does it mean to me individually? What makes me excited about going after this vision and working on this mission? So just helping people connect to what's important to them about going after the longer term picture. And having goals is good. Oh, annual goals, quarterly goals is good. People need to have that that is attainable in period that's not too long. It really helps to have a bigger, longer term picture of, okay, this is where we're going and this is where we want to go. This is why we have this target and this goal in the next three or 12 months, because ultimately it will lead us to this. And this matters to me because. Uh And then you you start going beyond the uh, financial rewards. Financial rewards can do wonders if they're designed properly, but I don't believe they're enough. You know, people, because you can always try at least and earn more elsewhere. But in all of my coaching conversations, you know, and my friends and, At some point, money doesn't matter as much as actually feeling fulfilled in your job, like feeling, finding joy, having a good time with your coworkers, feeling like you're growing with them and that you guys belong and you're working towards something that's better than yourself. That makes people stick much more in the end. No, it's interesting. And I'm just trying to think about it from my context as well. So when I was a manager at Gartner, obviously, uh, it's a huge organization uh, all over the world, hundreds of thousands of employees. I managed a team of eight in there. And the way that I always tried to motivate and connect to my employees was around helping them connect, connect to their personal goals and where they were looking to get to. But never did I look to try and help them connect to the wider organization goal or the wider regional goal or even just a wider team goal that we had because we were salespeople, we're hitting our numbers and it was all very individual. Have you got any advice of what I could have done differently there to help as a very small part of a big organization create something that a team can work towards together as salespeople in the end we're all the same we want to succeed and we want to grow sometimes not really clear but it's good to be clear as to what we want to learn what our next steps are and what i don't know maybe you did this but i would have open career conversations with the people i worked with I think asking them, where would you like this to lead to? And, and I remember one, one day, actually, 
guy in, in my team in Hong Kong told me, I'd like to have your job. I was like, great. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to have my job. So how do we work towards you? How can I support you taking my job ultimately? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and it's you as a manager, it's not just giving an impression. It's actually caring for the development of your folks, of people who work with you and understanding what the desire and you actually supporting it, that, that helps. How do you give an employee the confidence to say, Greg, I want your job without them being worried about that being a conversation that they're going to have? I think it goes back to, uh, oh, by the way, I love the fact that the guy told me this because I was, there is no promise. There is no, it's not, yeah, of course you'll get there. He didn't get the job in the end, but he did great. What gave me the, gave him the confidence? I think it's me continuously, openly asking people wanted, uh, because at the end of the day, it's a contract between you, the employer, and then the employee still. And it's got to be not only financially working for them, but also, I'm not sure what's the right word, um, Feeling and you know, I would always seek to, and also because I, I wasn't an unlimited bank account, I couldn't pay people mm-hmm. unlimited amount of money, and it was a very competitive marketplace I was working in. So maybe that helped in a way, mm-hmm. where we'd lose, we, we would lose people who would go work for banks or hedge funds, mm-hmm. paid a lot more than what we could pay them, and therefore I had to find other avenues to make them stick. You know, we had really good people who could go work in banks and hedge funds and get paid three, four times as much. It was a very difficult equation to maintain, but I had to invest. Now we continuously look at the side of things and just think, okay, how can I make this really rewarding for you beyond the financial aspect? Thank you for sharing that, Greg. I wanted to take the conversation back a little bit as well to something you said a little bit earlier. And you mentioned as you were coming up through GFK and as you, the business was growing and you were growing with it, one of the things that didn't come naturally to you and some of the challenges for you was the more relation, relationship side of, of the role and of being a leader. Tell us a little bit more about there. What, what was difficult? What didn't come natural for you? Yeah, and, it, and it's funny. As I was saying this, I actually, I remember... What was difficult for me, I hadn't learned naturally to express myself authentically, mm-hmm. to say things that were true and to say them fully in a way that is articulated, but also doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Well, it's sometimes difficult to find the balance of saying things that are true to you and making them received in a way that's going to grow the person as opposed to hurt the person, you know? I guess that's what I was referring to. It's a good pick on this, good listening skills. And, and hey, let's be honest, it's so important. I mean, yeah. being able to have those conversations, those honest conversations in a way that elevates the, the debates or the topic as opposed to become confrontational or just one going after the other. No, those are quite difficult. And I, and I wouldn't say I'm, 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 I've mastered it, but I, I caught up a little bit with what I, I hadn't, but I really enjoyed this. And I saw the power of being able to, to do this. Uh, not only the power, it's just necessary. Could you share a time when this created a challenge for you or a particular instance where you had some of these conversations and they didn't go 
how, how they wanted to and what sort of impacts you saw from that. Um, I'm thinking about conflicts and yeah, many times, right? And where I guess one thing that comes to mind, and maybe that's more useful to to people listening, is because I wasn't feeling comfortable in doing this, I didn't feel like a master, I would shy away from the difficult conversations. And, and one thing that comes to mind is when I was in Singapore, I had a, somebody working in the team and it wasn't working. And on the one hand, you know, he was great. He had real strength, but he, he and in a way, you know, I let him loose because I could see him really enjoying it and, and, and expanding energy into doing this. But I could see ultimately it actually didn't fit with what we needed. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I just delayed having the tough conversation. And I think the lesson, <clears throat> me for sure, and I think many people have learned that lesson the hard way is that don't kick the can down the road. Actually, you have to pick it up. And um, even if it's unpleasant, having those conversations that are meaningful, they're difficult. Uh, and when I coach people, you know, and I, you know, they, they may have, I may force them an invitation to have those conversations. It always leads, if it's in the right frame and with the right delivery, it always leads to uh, a better relationships, better relationship with the people and to a more desirable outcome. No, I, com- I completely agree. And I think, again, this is another thing that comes across with everybody that I speak to is nobody enjoys these, having these conversations, but everybody says when they're done effectively, you always get a better result. And that result is either that particular employee or person starts performing how they can and starts performing to their potential, which is a win for them. Or it becomes very clear very quickly that it's not a fit between that employee and your current organization. And you can then help them find something that is and you can bring somebody in that is and then everybody wins again. Um, So again, you mentioned there, those sorts of conversations are more effective in the right frame and when they're delivered in the right way. Talk to us a little bit more about that. What sort of advice do you have for people that are worried and stressed about having these sorts of conversations? Yeah, the first thing is you have to have a common goal between the two of you, right? The, the two people are having that conversation. It could be, hey, we want this to work. I want this to work for you. And you need to genuinely believe what you're saying. But you need to find some common ground. If there is no common ground, it's much more complicated. But at least identify it, name it, and agree on this common ground. That's number one. And then I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of nonviolent communication. Uh, nonviolent communication is this great framework. People can search it up. There are lots of resources out there on the internet. That it's a step-by-step process to say things that may be difficult to say. And essentially, if I'm summarizing, it's stating the facts to describe what's going on in a 100%, if you can, objective way. A way that nobody could argue. This is what's happened. Josh is nodding right now. Okay, so this is a fact. I think we'd both agree. Everybody would agree. Yeah. (laughs) And then there is the very difficult part, which is how does that make me feel as a manager? I feel like you're not respecting me because I'm telling you we've got the set of objectives that we discussed two weeks ago, three months ago, 
and you're not actually working on them. And it, I feel like I'm not being listened to pissed actually, because I feel like I'm disrespected. This is very difficult to say for many people because you're actually being vulnerable because you're showing up as who you are with feelings that are considered most unacceptable in, in the workplace, anger, and sometimes it can be sadness. Fear probably is the even hardest one because that's even more vulnerable. But anyway, showing up with telling how that makes you feel and then looking for a solution, recommending a solution. Could we work on a solution that um, works for both of us? You know, do we want to? And having those conversations really enhance the relationship because people intimacy with a person because you know intimacy we say into me see by sharing your feelings you're letting the person see into you and they will trust you a lot more by you allowing them to see how a certain situation makes them feel makes you feel and usually it will you know create a conversation where actually that's also how i feel and then okay and, and then you can start really disentangling the knots no, I love that. I think that's a great framework as well for, that people can even just plan conversations around before they go into them so they can go in feeling confident what they're going to yeah. notice there. So, no, I think yeah. that's really good, Greg. I think that's great. Thank you for that. Okay, last couple of minutes, Greg. I just wanted to ask one final question and it's looking back at this whole career that you've had so far. Obviously, you've worked your way up through GFK, held senior roles there. You're now a, a leadership coach and running your own business. Looking back across that whole period, is there one moment or one event or one thing that you've done that you look back at and think that had a huge impact and again that impact can be on you it could be on a team member or it could be on your ability as a leader but what's that one thing that stands out for you that you've done it's funny because when you say this you know there are a few things that came to mind but actually there is one really that came to mind is like we had this team member in the uk who had come from india wasn't a visa and her attitude was spot on. I mean, she really wanted to do this right. But she didn't really have the skills. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and she struggled. She really, at the beginning, she really struggled to deliver the data on time. And so we discussed with her manager, so who is my, my CTO. And we thought, okay, well, what do we do right here? Do we, we keep her or not? because it's not working right now. She's working the attitude and she's got the right attitude, but not the, the skill set. And we decided to keep her because one, she was a really nice person, but two, because of her, of her attitude. And we told her this. You know, we told her, we didn't shy away from the conversation. Okay, those things are not, but you've got an attitude that is remarkable. And it's funny, actually, it's, I'm, I'm moved by what happened next because we had an award that I had started, which was the Exceptional Employee Award that we had every quarter. And I would ask every single person in the team individually, tell me about one person that made a real difference, either to our customers or to you. And I think, I don't know how long it took, but maybe two, three years. But after two, three years, she won the award. And it wasn't just because of, our, of her attitude. She had stepped up massively terms of skills she had caught up and she was a star performer in the team but also she was recognized by you know virtually everyone in the team and i'm really proud of having stuck to 
what I believed was the right thing to do, which was difficult in the business. And ultimately, this person, I can tell you, she was fully into her job. She was so grateful for the chance we had given her. Um, then it led to a lot of other things personally that I, I don't need to mention, but that, that were great for her. That uh, really, really changed her life. And I'm not saying we changed her life for that decision, but because ultimately she was responsible for what happened, but I'm glad we didn't prevent it. Yeah, no. So from that, what, what I've taken away from there is two things, really. Number one is when you're looking at employees and when you're working with employees, a great attitude and the traits underneath what they're doing will always outperform skill in the long run because by having that attitude, they can learn their skills and they can grow and develop. But secondly, as well, is by you not then shying away from having that conversation and actually sharing that you have these concerns, but she's going to stay. That enabled her to then step up as well and, and to you showed her some loyalty so she showed it back and became one of these high performing employees um over the coming years would you agree with that or is there anything else that you took from that yeah no 100 percent. And, and also i think there is a sort of a ripple effect people people look at you when you're a manager they look at every single decision whether it's conscious or unconscious by the way but they will pick up the cues they will pick up the patterns uh-huh. and people picked up must have picked this up that attitude trumped skills uh-huh. And it's true in the end, I'm a 100% believer that attitude trump skills over some period of time, of course. And I actually ran a webinar on that very topic on the hiring. And I just want to mention a fact here because I think it's helpful. Nearly half of every recruit fails, gets fired, gets performance issues or leaves after 18 months. The first 18 months, it's 46%. That's a study made in 2015, so I'm not sure how relevant it is, but obviously it fluctuates, but still, it's nearly half at that time. And when they asked the managers of that person who failed, what was the, the reason? In all, in nine out of the 10 cases, it was about attitudes and behaviors. And it doesn't mean that the person has attitudinal or behavioral problems. Means maybe you as a manager or as a business did not promote the right attitudes and behavior, but at least it was had not, in one out of 10 cases, it had to do with the experience or the skill sets, the ability to do the job. So, yes, attitudes versus skills. I want to say a huge thank you to Greg for his time and his insights that he shared to our community today. I was really impressed with everything he shared around maximizing the performance of your employees and getting the most out of each and every person. I particularly enjoyed his story about how one of his employees shared that he wanted his job. It takes a real leader to be able to get your employees to the point where they are comfortable to say this and you take it in the right way. If you haven't already, go and sign up to 10xmanagers.com and join our community where you can download resources, guidance and templates based on today's interview, read a full email summary and also watch the full interview. As always, I really hope you enjoyed today's interview and conversation, but most importantly, you go and take action.